Welcome to episode 183 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we review game one of the 2020 State of Origin series and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 183 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, State of Origin, Game 1, 2020, year of the coronavirus. I called it. I thought it was going to be a a total, total blue whitewash um, mm. but but enough about the u.s presidential election uh state <laughs> of origin we're talking about new south Wales mm. v queensland a blues mm. blues whitewash is what i called and it wasn't to be uh disappointing game one uh yeah how are you <laughs> state of origin it's upon us in november what do you feel yes like? yes well after much build up dr t and uh yeah i hope you're doing well uh, but yeah, look, I'm doing well. But look, apart from uh, look, apart from just the uh, yeah, just just the build up, it's uh, it's been year long. It's been a, a tough campaign on both sides. Uh, you know, there's been controversy, there's been headlines, uh, there's been scandals, there's been everything, and um, and and now it looks like that uh, you know uh, Wayne Bennett is the new president of America, ladies and gentlemen. Um, well, he's, so, a, he's, he's yeah. a bit young. He's a bit too young, actually. He's a bit too young. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's he's ten years too young. Sorry. So he's only in uh, his early seventies. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But look, I've got to say, you know, it was a it was a it was a mighty Melbourne Cup uh, on Tuesday, um, and it's been a US election, and you know, in between, like uh, you know, the Devon inside of a Devon sandwich, you know, that's uh, the most unspectacular part of the week <laughs> seems to be the state of origin. Even though, to be honest, it was a it was a pretty pretty close fought game in the end, and a bit of an upset, and there were some elements that I certainly liked in it. But yeah, but I, but just been it's been a big week there, Doctor T, and uh, I'm not too sure about all the decisions the NRL has made on this year's State of Origin. But I've got to say, it's great to have State of Origin back. I did get a bit of the feels, I must say. Uh, how about yourself? Did you did you enjoy the whole State of Origin experience from your point of view? Well, oh, look, I echo your sentiments. I think uh, it didn't quite feel, I don't know, it just felt, maybe it was because of the, the US election happening and all the shenanigans mm. going on and the the coverage and, uh, you know, it's just seemed to attract that attention away from the state of origin. Uh, there was hardly any build-up in the media. There was hardly any kind of build-up. Of course, with coronavirus, you know, like usually it's the kind of thing that you talk about with your colleagues at work, you know, origins coming up, who are you going to go for, who do you think's going to, you know, how do you think Teddy's going to go, all that kind of stuff. And there's just none of that because everyone's working from home and, well, not everyone, but like, you know, it's, mm. it's just not the same. And so 
so clearly, uh, and we'll talk about it's reflected uh, in in the kind of the atmosphere as well. Look, part of it is, look, you you mentioned it, and we'll talk about the atmosphere as well in a minute when we get stuck into our six tackles. But I've got to say, Tish, the analogy you just used about the the Devon, I think, I think I think it's fair to say we've been used to, um, you know, lovely smoke smoky bacon. For for origin, and instead this year we've been offered up spam. Uh, yeah, it's what it feels like. Uh, it definitely doesn't feel like an origin in years gone by. Well, in saying that, we're saying that as New South Wales supporters, it definitely. Maybe if you're a Queenslander, you'd be uh, you'd be just laughing your head off, thinking no, nah, it was all good for us because uh, from the Queenslander perspective, definitely, uh, you know, it, it it's just a, a classic classic game of origin for them uh, exactly what 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 we've uh, gone through in the past new south Wales go, going in arrogant and uh coming away sheepish you know the the maroon color is the the color of their sheepish uh you know faces uh the the cheeks red with embarrassment that's <laughs> that's what they came away with the blues because they were absolutely embarrassed dominated by the queenslanders but look Let's get into the six tackles and get stuck into this, shall we? Let's get stuck into it. Tackle number one. So this is our official match review. So let's get into it. So obviously, very disappointing uh, if you're a Blues supporter because uh, the Blues were defeated 18-14 to 14 by, uh, by the Queenslanders. A... I think it's fair to say, Tish, it was a pretty dominant performance from the Queenslanders. Um, you know, not too many Blues, uh, you would say, performed, you know, even to their, to close to their best, uh, mm. which is what you would kind of expect at this level, that, that some players just step up. In contrast, you look at a lot of the Queenslanders, they had more debutants, um, you know, that did so well and... Uh, and then the usual suspects as well, like Dane Gagai, who just, uh, you know, completely <laughs> kind of dominated uh, his his opposite. Um, so yeah, look, so many uh, so many examples of uh, uh, of basically the, the the typical Queensland style game where they just completely ambushed us, took us by surprise, and come away with that important first up win. Um, it started off, I think it's fair to say, if you believe in uh, first impressions making a really uh, big impact, well, the first impression we got was a drop ball by Damien Cook from the <laughs> kickoff. And I thought... That's right. And, and it barely got better from there. Although, in saying that, he did he did kind of... Um, uh, I think it's fair to say he uh, made up for it with a, a pretty good solo try a uh, bit of a lucky bounce. He kicked the ball, bounced off, I think, a Queenslander, uh, re- recovered, spun out of a tackle, uh, went to the line, spun out of another tackle, and then sort of uh, lunged over and scored the first, the all-important first try. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of, uh, it, I guess, well, they did score another another try after that, so they went 10-0 up. Um, but... Then it was it was all Queensland basically. I think it was ten nil going into halftime. Who scored the second try there for the Blues? Do you remember uh, who scored that? So I think it was um, Ado Carr 
potentially. Yeah, yeah that's right. Was. That's right. So that's right. Adekar getting two tries. Uh, so, yeah, look, the game, uh, I think New South Wales started very strongly um, in the first half. You know, they they were leading 10-0 at halftime. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was you know, they, the old cliche game of two halves. Uh, it certainly was that, right? So the first half was dominated a lot by New South Wales. Um and you know, but you know, they sort of scored in the uh, in the fifteenth minute and then the twentieth minute, uh, and then it's sort of for the last twenty minutes, it kind of was a bit more of an even game. And um, I just felt like the Maroons, they kind of, you know, they they had lots of drop ball uh, in the first half. Um, I felt like a lot of their players were overrunning the ball. They seemed to get a bit cramped as well, like everybody was in Charles' way a little bit. Um, like there wasn't that cohesion that you'd sort of, um, you know, that you're accustomed to sort of see. And that uh, could have been the fact that they had, uh, you know, Jake Friend was playing his first uh, game in the state of origin. So obviously, you know, uh, from from the dummy half role, uh, you know, people not getting used to his passing game. Uh, I think that kind of had a little bit to do with it, even though he had a fantastic game. Um, I think sort of the timing was a little out for, for Queensland. But for New South Wales, they seemed to be, uh, yeah, first 20 minutes, they were rolling uh, and, then, and then they just, I don't know if they just got bored and decided not to play footy, I think, <laughs> for pretty much the rest of the game, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, uh, sorry. I, were you going to continue? Or? Oh, yeah, no, look, um, no, no, it was just, uh, yeah, let's let's continue. So let's the story unfolds as, obviously, they went in 10-0 at halftime, and, and I remember hearing, uh, you know, Phil Gould, master coach, in fact, voted uh, New South Wales coach, best coach of all time, uh, recently, in in a in a poll that was done, um, called in it. Queensland. Oh, sorry, no, no. He he called it, and he basically said Wayne Bennett. Uh, he is the master coach at halftime. He will, you know, he said, look, at ten nil down, they're still in it, and I think they're playing better than than what the scoreboard indicates, and they're definitely just a few little tweaks and uh, and they, the, the, you know, they're doing the little things right. They're just not getting the, the opportunities. And he absolutely called it because the Queensland team that came out in the second half, i got to tell you, uh, I don't know what the stats showed on in the second half in general, but I felt like watching the game that the Queenslanders were just uh, a, a step or two faster and more mm. intense and more committed then New South Wales straight away, straight out of halftime. Uh, it was it was like as you said, Taylor two halves, and you know straight from the get go was a, it was a game of field position in that second half, and Queensland inching closer and closer, pushing New South Wales further and further back, uh, and eventually that weight of possession led to a couple of tries uh, and or three tries actually and they ended up being uh, you know it, it ended up rocketing them to eighteen ten. And uh, all of a sudden, it was New South Wales's game to chase with about 20 minutes to go, um, and they left it too little, too late. And uh, and it was a, a bit of a try with a few minutes left, uh, put them within striking distance, but uh, it wasn't to be. And and then obviously there's that controversy where with about a minute to go, they managed to get possession again and. Uh, uh, you know, quickly had a couple of uh, quick tackles, and as uh, James Sedesco was getting up with a few seconds to spare, um, Jared Sutton called called time off, and uh, the actual timer, at least on the TV, uh, was not even 80 minutes yet. It was a couple of seconds before that, 
and uh, and and we hadn't even heard the full time siren either. So a couple of things happened that you think, well, hang on, that that should have that last play should have continued, and anything could have happened. Uh, we could have seen a miracle last minute try. Uh, who knows? But look, at the end of the day, I believe the the best team won. Uh, Queensland dominated New South Wales throughout the game. On the scoreboard, they didn't in the first half. They definitely deserve to win after what they did in that second half. And again, a, a master performance by Wayne Bennett. There will be lots of questions asked in terms of the Blues, and we're going to talk about that later about wh- where to next. But uh, but in terms of you know some of the main things that that we're going to see. Look, um, well actually, let's talk about that now. Let's talk about what went wrong for the Blues because I think it's kind of really important uh, to to kind of analyze a little bit. Um, but yeah, so what went wrong for the Blues? Let's just open that up. So I'll over to you, Tish. Do you have any kind of what are your initial impressions about what went wrong for the Blues? Uh, okay. Well, look. Um, yes, yeah, so as I said, the first twenty minutes they seemed to be on fire. They were taking the ball through the middle, and they seemed to be getting quite a lot of success. And you know what they were doing was they were exposing um, sort of two key vulnerabilities that you saw, that Queensland had, um, which was um, they, were, they had a uh, they had Kurt Capewell uh, playing out of position in, in the centres on one end, and they had Dan Gago on the other end, who's uh, normally normally plays uh, in club football centre. This is his first game um, as a as a centre for Queensland, uh, and I think Dan Gago actually did a, a tremendous job throughout the whole whole game. So I don't think that side was 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 bad. But look on the Ado Car side, where Capewell was defending, they got two tries. Um, you know, in the first half based on that, uh, based on there. And they sort of, um, you know, taken up the middle and then heading out towards that way. They kind of, for whatever reason, stopped doing that a little bit. Um, I thought that they probably didn't gel as much as they would have liked with uh, Cleary and Kiri. I think both of those players were a bit too conservative for State of Origin. I think they needed to uh, sort of take, take the initiative before. Um, but look, ultimately, I think it comes down to this, and Ray Warren kind of said it in the commentary. And I think as soon as he said it, I kind of figured that you said that Queensland are going to win because this happens. This has happened since the birth of State of Origin. This is kind of for me the number one. If Queen, if New South Wales loses a game, you have to go back and check whether this is the case, and it was the case once again. Uh, but basically. They had Jack Whiten, who is Dallium five eighth of the year, playing in the centres, <laughs> and they had Clint Gutherson, um, you know, uh, who is fullback Dallium fullback of the year, playing on the other centres, right? Yeah. Two guys that don't play centres, two guys that are excelling in the current positions that they're playing. Meanwhile, they carried and look. I am a big James Tedesco fan. And he did a lot of great things, but he also dropped the ball quite a lot. I think is one of his weaker games for New South Wales, um, you know. And but they, I think they, you know the Roosters have had a poor end to the season. You know, um, has every, has everybody forgot that they got smashed by the uh, Rabbitohs? I don't know if starting with him and Kiri, uh, and Kiri as well. I think both of those players had a disaster. So. You basically had somebody in form in Gutherson that could have replaced Tedesco quite easily, and that you you would have had Whiten in five eighth replacing Kerry. So I think they just kind of got that wrong a little bit. Like, um, yeah, I, look, I, it, I know there'd be calls. I know you know I, I probably wouldn't have changed Tedesco, but I, 
I just think, why would you pick uh, two great, uh, you know, two great fullbacks, or sorry, two, well, a great fullback and a great five-eighth in the centres and not have specialist centres there? If you actually look at the tries that Queensland scored, they were basically off um, errors that were made by, you know, two people playing in the centres that shouldn't be playing in the centres. Um, on top of all of that, in the squad is, uh, I think, Stephen Crichton, who was one of the centres of the year. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, uh, like you could, you could see exactly where things went wrong for uh, New South Wales. I think, I think they just kind of, um, yeah, they just, uh, at, at State of Origin, it's so important to have the key people in their key positions. Um, I don't think it's about just picking 17 great players. Um, because you don't have enough time to gel as a unit, you need to have the best player for that position playing that position. And I, I think they kind of forgot that New South Wales. So that's what for me. If I that's what I, where I think they were. I think they just kind of um, I don't know. They kind of outsmarted themselves in a in, in a way. So how about your thoughts, Doctor T? Yeah, look, you make a good point. I mean, obviously, the players out of position is one of the key kind of lessons and takeaways for us uh, out of that game. And and look, let's not take any credit away from the Queenslanders in terms of the 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 young players that have come in and. Under, you know, so we've got AJ Brimson, we've got Capewell, uh, you know. Xavier Coates. Xavier Coates, you know, like a few debutants that actually performed fairly well. Um, not not necessarily. I mean, look, let's not forget the, uh, the – there's obviously the highlights reel that adds to your, your, uh, your, your aura in this, in this game. And, and so Capewell's amazing kick for a forward – that, that bounced very well for Brimson for his first try on debut was amazing. What a great highlight reel that is. But yeah. um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, he also had some defensive lapses as well to consider. Um, but, but overall, I think the debutants did well under the system. And this is why it pays to have a good coach that can, uh, that set up, that sets up the system and nurtures these young players and brings them into the fold. And, you know, these guys are going to be coached into being an origin, a great origin player over, over time because uh. they're, they're coached by the best, you know, and it's a good kind of uh, system they've got up there in Queensland. We, we kind of had that in for a while, but then it seems to have been lost. And uh, I mean, look, I think, I think it's only one game we're talking about. We still have won the last two series in a row. So it's still any one series, and it's not like we were absolutely flogged. It was only a four-point game, and really a few tweaks is all that's required to get get moving again. And and that's why the focus is on the absolutely no-brainer kind of decisions that were made in the selection of this squad. And I think that's that, that you know this is why it's been highlighted because a few little tweaks to get the right players in the right position, and surely New South Wales will be back on track again. Because uh, I think the reason why you know that was one of the reasons is that the defensive lapses for players who are not playing in their normal position, and the centres being an important position. I think look, let's not discount Wayne Bennett. He would have exploited that. He would have known that he mm. had opposite his centres, two centres that are not familiar with uh, playing in that position. So, you know, you don't, you can put a debutant up there. It doesn't need to be the world's greatest player. And they can exploit that if they know how to play their position well. 
And don't forget the other position that that we had to sacrifice was Addo Carr playing on the opposite side to the, of the field to what he normally plays. And, and there's no surprise as well that he was also part of some of the defensive lapses. He was actually the reason why uh, there was that initial defensive lapse that led to the AJ Brimson try as well. He was, uh, you know, he, he was absolutely sidestepped and, and beaten by Capewell, which is uh, un- unbelievable. So again, I think that has a lot to do with, you know, putting players out of position and, 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 you know, having ex- exposed yourself to a poor uh, kind of, uh, defensive uh, effort there. But the other thing that we need to mention, which has been mentioned by, I think, Andrew Johns in the media, is he was pinpointing Luke Keary, but I want to also single out Mitchell Cleary. I mean, sorry, Nathan Cleary, because I, I look, I, I'm not going to say that I was drinking during the game, but if I was, and if I decided to take a shot every time... Uh, Nathan Cleary did a midfield bomb to nobody with no pressure, i.e. a Mitchell Pierce classic, uh, I would have been drunk by halftime because it just mm-hmm. really it really irritated me as a Blues fan seeing constant kicks to, to with no pressure and and bombs, uh, bombs that go nowhere. Uh, no no effort to no thought to kind of uh, you know, making the, the the fullbacks, the fullback and the wingers run around a bit, make them reach down. Mm. You know, it was always the same. And maybe they had some some mail, some insider knowledge that the uh, Adelaide atmosphere was a bit windy up top. But look, it didn't eventuate. <laughs> it didn't look like it affected the uh, the the large bombs that were put up. Didn't seem to put any pressure at all. Uh, on the Queenslanders, uh, which, you know, so that was a fail tactic there, which brings me to the other point, which was as a game itself, uh, atmosphere. Um, Didn't feel like an origin game. I know that there's COVID restrictions and, you know, fewer fewer people allowed at the ground than normal, etc. But we are talking Adelaide as well. (laughs) Adelaide Oval, not much atmosphere there either. I think that probably added to the lack of spectacle. What do you think, Tish? Yeah, well, look, uh, in hindsight, look, I, we understand that they uh, had this game booked, but I would have had game two uh, in Adelaide because I think State of Origin, after COVID, um, you know, playing at a different time of the year, you really needed the passionate fans um, to sort of get the game going. And we didn't see that because it was a neutral venue occasion, which... Uh, yeah, which kind of made things difficult. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Look, they did get into it, and I thought that some of the, uh, you know, the way the stadium looked and uh, I think the audience, in it, like, in, in the second half was more state of origin-like than what the first half was. I think in the second, you heard a, a Queenslander chant going through. Um, there's a massive roar when Adokar scored in the corner um, to sort of tighten it all up. So I think, I think when the game got exciting um, and it was a bit more passion within the, the players, I think you kind of um, made that happen. Um, you know, we, we kind of uh, sort of forget about the, these things, but, you know, during the winter season or the winter period, um, you know, Australia is not in daylight saving mode, but we're in daylight saving mode at the moment. So I think the way it worked out, I mean, the game started in daylight, which is very odd for an Origin game to sort of start off with. Um, and, uh, look, maybe daylight savings is a reason why, uh, you know, Jared Sutton, uh, called the the game off early. Maybe he got his uh, 
you know, that he's timing off. And I, I, I actually think, because you've got to remember, Queensland does not observe daylight savings, so they might actually be uh, half an hour ahead of Adelaide, right, something like that, So, um, or, or a half an hour behind Adelaide. Yeah, so it's crazy timing at the moment, so I think that's kind of no, I where, where that sort of works out. Yeah. Look, the other thing is, um, you know, we've had such a we've we've had such a, a tough year, you know, and um, so so you know, state of origin is kind of one of these very familiar things that you want to have. So you know, but you're trying to you're almost trying to reintroduce the brand a little bit. So you've got to go back with what's familiar, and I just don't understand why the New South Wales Blues decided to wear the Cronulla Sharks jersey. Um, <laughs> That's right. You know, it was it was it was offensive. Uh, as a non Sharks New South Wales supporter, you think, man, like, why can't I? Why can't I support the Blues? Like, go back to your traditionals. You know, I think Queensland even went back to the traditional nineteen eighty style jersey, and I think New South Wales should have done the same thing. Like, I didn't understand why they why they had to have such a an elaborate change to their jersey, particularly in a in a year that we are trying to get back to where. To where it was all at, you know, and uh, and you look, uh, there's there's a, you know, the scheduling I think is a is a major problem. I think we are going to talk about um so, so some of the real problems uh, overall, but look, I mean, uh, the Melbourne Cup was on the 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 day before, right? So the Melbourne Cup is a very big deal in Australia. Obviously, it is the race that stops the nation. So for the last two weeks, all the focus in you know, all the sports reports, um, in all the newspapers, in all the websites, in, in everything sporting related in Australia has been about the Melbourne Cup, which horse is in form, which horse isn't, you know, we've had horse whisperer psychology, you know, this horse likes to run, this, that. So that's all people have been talking about. So um, to put it on the day after, and, you know, it's always on the first Tuesday of November. So what would you put on State of Origin 1? you know, the, the day before. I mean, nobody thought about it, I suppose, uh, three months ago, but they probably could have thought about that. And on top of that, the US election. You know, this is something that happens once every four years, um, and it's a very crazy time in the whole world at the moment. So it was, it was we're in the, the only place uh, the uh, state of origin can, can sort of fit in the newspaper at the moment is in the classifieds. So um, I didn't think that, it was a very wise decision to schedule it um, this week. I think that could have. I think it could have worked a week later. I, I just think that 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 kind of all added to it. You know, there was no real press coverage for the Origin. You know, it wasn't played in the home venue. The jerseys looked different. Um, there were so many debutants. The game was on during the day. I mean, how could you make? How could you expect the fans to get excited about something that you've just basically uh, butchered? Well, I mean, yeah, and and, and it's in Adelaide. <laughs> that's, the other thing. <laughs> that's the other thing. It's like there there wasn't much build up to it, and yeah, I mean, that's uh, yeah. I mean, look, and that leads me perfectly into tackle number two. So let's do that. Let's just launch right into tackle number two. Here we go. All right. So this is about the TV rating. So you gave plenty of reasons why why we shouldn't. <laughs> You know, if if you were to if we were to sit around when we were scheduling the return from COVID in pro, the Project Apollo team meetings, 
and you were talking about let's do Origin after the grand final, and and there was a, a, a an agreement around the table. Great idea there, Doctor T. And and then I would I was to say, oh, by the way, it's the day after the Melbourne Cup. It's in Adelaide. It's the day of the election uh, in the US. So so forget getting any TV coverage at all and any hype about it. Um. You know, I would be surprised if if uh, people were to say to me, "Doctor T, pack your bags, you're fired," because uh, you know, and, and especially when it's game one and you want uh, you want that first up kind of uh, bump and that first kind of, um, especially when you're going to a, like a neutral venue and a pioneering kind of state, uh, you want to you want to focus your attention on it. You want there to be some build up of some sort, but that wasn't to be. And look, this was reflected in the TV ratings because what we saw wasn't just some pretty bad ratings. It was officially the worst television audience for a state of origin game since national figures became available in 2003 under, I guess, under Oztam. And wow. uh, it attracted a national average audience of 2.38 million, which was down almost 25% on the corresponding game last year. And I've just had a look at, uh, there's an article on this in the Sydney Morning Herald, which has a, a very interesting, uh, I guess, a graph showing the uh, the by millions of uh, TV or average TV audience since 2003, and you can see the trend over time. That uh, obviously the first games of each series there's a bit of a zigzag. So the first games of each series is almost always the highest, and then there's a bit of a drop, and then there's a bit of another increase. So there's always, there's a bit of a zigzag, but over time, you know, we've seen since 2003 that slowly the highest number, the highest average audience of the series has gone up and up and up, culminating in 2014, which is obviously the year where the New South Wales uh, brought that uh, Queensland uh, team dominance to an end. And then you've seen a slow kind of drop-off over time, and then now in 2020, a kind of, uh, yeah, the dropping off of the lowest since they started recording this. So... The trend is telling me anyway that uh, while Queensland was dominating, the figures got higher and higher and higher until New South Wales broke that dominance. And then uh, it's been getting kind of lower and lower uh, on average. Uh, if you look at the three-game uh, average every year. Uh, and now we're off to a pretty bad start because we've now hit below, you know, it was, uh, what did I say, 2.38 million. The previous lowest was uh oh, look i would say probably 2.6 something million which was game three in 2018 which i believe was a dead rubber which queensland won anyway so new south Wales had already won that one uh two nil and and lost that third game so which you would understand a dead rubber is usually uh, you know going to have lower ratings so you know, pretty uh, – and then before that, the, the next lowest was in 2004, which was around 2.7 million or so. So, look, that's um, – you know, in the last three years, we've had two of the bottom three lowest average, uh, you know, audio, TV audiences, free-to-air TV audiences, 
for state of origin. That's not a good sign if you are PVL or anyone at the NRL uh, headquarters looking at that. There is a, a bit of a trend happening there. And obviously it's exacerbated by all the things we just spoke about which culminated in that uh, lowest number that we've seen since 2003. Tish, not a good sign. Trends are showing that we're going down, uh, which is, uh, you know, maybe our dominance at the top of uh, of the yearly kind of uh, TV ra- TV show ratings is uh, going to come to an end. Uh, what are your thoughts on this TV ratings plummeting? Yeah, well, it is it is quite scary when you actually look at the, the overall picture, right? And, uh now, it's interesting that 2014 uh, series that you're sort of looking at where, you know, it was at the peak. Um, you know, obviously it was mid-season, like we've always had origin. So this is kind of an experiment this year at the end of the season. Um, but it was also the the Wednesdays uh, every two weeks sort of thing. So, um, you know, because we've gone to the new Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday format, I think. So this is kind of, yeah. So I think, I think uh, a bit of going back to what worked in the past might be – in order in terms of the presentation of State of Origin, uh, the way you sort of push it on television, the way you sort of promote the game, uh, the way you sort of uh, get get the passionate on again. Um, I'm just having a look here that I think in 2014, I'm just looking at the uh, venues and it looks like that they were actually Suncorp, ANZ and Suncorp. So, um, you know, that's another thing, like, you know, like these neutral venues, yes, we want to promote the game into other states and other areas, but is it actually hurting the presentation of the um, game overall? Um, because, you know, you don't have that pa- passion coming across your television sets anymore, you know. It's no longer a, a must-see event. It's a I'll, I'll find out what happens later sort of event, you know, and you know, we also got to remember the rise of the digital platforms that are out there at the moment and how, you know, everybody seems to watch things on demand rather than watch things live. So, you know, it hasn't become one of these things where I've got to sit down and watch, um, you know, the NRL uh, sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't need to sit down and watch the State of Origin. I could just sort of check out the highlights later or, or you know, uh, record it and watch it later sort of thing. So mm. it did, it's interesting here, you know, sort of 2015 is when, you know, the peak started to drop off and that's their first year they went, started going to the neutral venues again. So, um, you know, I think it's kind of showing, a, a, you know, a lot that perhaps, um, you know, this this idea of taking State of Origin on the road isn't necessarily what's going to get you um, ratings and it's, it's going to hurt the product on TV. Um, we have to remember that television is actually the number one vehicle of revenue for the... NRL um, and State of Origin is the is the crown jewel of that. Uh, so you've got to keep it special. And I think that sometimes, um, you know, preservation is is a key. So maybe, I think, yeah, I think they really need to have a, I think they need to stop experimenting with the, with Origin. I think um, having a three-test series, having it, uh, sorry, a three-match series, having it in the middle of the season, um you, you know, uh, you know, making logical sense of why um, these teams are playing and and having a having a real rivalry between the players is is, is really crucial and really emphasizing that as well. So, you know, you didn't really have too much. Um, you, you know, I, th- I think players are very reluctant to talk to media, but there wasn't really like a back and forth um, sort of you know anger between the two teams that made 
made you as an audience um, sort of get uh, sort of get it. So I've, I've got to say, you know, hats off to both premiers of New South Wales and uh, Queensland because I think uh, you know their little uh, you know tourism and border uh, crossings have kind of been uh, have kind of been on the um, you know have kind of been on the uh, has kind of promoted the rivalry a little bit. Uh, maybe we could ask uh, the two premiers to go. You know what? Uh, if New South Wales can win the series, let's open up the borders. <laughs> well, you know, that would be an interesting uh, little uh, wager that <laughs> they would pose. But look, uh, risking health and lives. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. Look, um, yeah. Look, uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, <laughs> but uh, it's a good idea. All right, let's move on to tackle number three, shall we? Here we go. All right, so New South Wales, uh, we talked about some of their problems with Game 1, and I guess this tackle is about what's where to next. There's some key decisions that need to be made uh, by the New South Wales selectors, and and look, I guess I guess it's all back down to this. Do you do you stick with the players you got? Do you pick and stick, or do you chop and change? Tish, what are your thoughts? What would you do? Uh, to prepare, uh, you know, or to the Blues team to prepare for Game 2? Okay, well, look, uh, Dr. T, uh, I need to remind everybody out there that we are New South Welshmen, and it is state of origin tradition for us to chop and change our team. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> no, no, look, I think there are some, I think some, I think there are some spots that we got it wrong. Uh, maybe let's talk about, I think, where we're, what we're forced to do. Um, I believe there is an inju- injury to um, uh, Cam Murray. Yeah, that's right. So, so there will obviously be somebody that will have to come in. I think Nathan Brown um, would be a good selection in that spot uh, because I just love the intensity that he plays with, and um, you know, he's sort of, uh, you know, he's like a, a very angry sort of character sort of thing. Sort of see that when he comes in, he's had a good season for Parramatta as well. They, w- they went deep into the season, so I kind of think that um, a Nathan Brown would be a good selection for. All say Cam Murray. Um, the other thing that I think they need to actually have a look at is um, Boyd Cordner. Now, I know he's the captain. Uh, I know he's a great player, and he had some tremendous runs. Um, but, you know, the, he's had a lot of problems with concussion, and uh, there was even a, a period where it looked like, um, you know, he was going to be out. You know, he had the con- concussion test. And I think everybody was surprised that he sort of came back. I certainly was, and... I don't know if that's also because they may be extra cautious with him now, so they'll actually get him checked a lot quicker than what they normally did before to make yeah, sure. I, be. I don't know what it what it is, but I th- I, I just feel like at the moment there is a. I, I think his health has got to come first a little bit, and I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure if if having him as a starting player for the whole game is is the best idea. So I'll probably move one and maybe move a half or something like that into the actual. Starting lineup, I, I think that's what I, I I could sort of do there. But the forwards had a pretty good game, you know. And then look, I think for the backs, we need to get a at least one specialist center, if not two specialist centers. And um, I know a lot of people talking about Cody Walker as five eighth, but I'd actually rather put Whiten in at five eighth and maybe have a Lomax or a uh, Stephen Crichton coming in in the centers. Um, and look, I think Gutherson, to be honest with you, I, I really like his selection. Um, I think they're not. I think they're not going to drop Tedesco, but 
I want to have Gustafson somewhere in the mix. Um, I don't know if the problem is if you put him, you got to tell. I think you got to tell Gustafson. Look, we're going to pick you in the team. You're going to be on the wing. That's your official position. But we know when he plays you as a winger, we want you to come in and actually take the ball when you see an opportunity. Because I think he's, I think that's what they kind of lack. Because I think Gustafson's that type of player that he will see things and he will he will take those opportunities. Um, I didn't really mind the intercept. A lot of people talked about the intercept where he sort of just passed it to Ca- uh, to Cameron Munster. But I think at that moment, they kind of needed something out of he, – he was trying to generate something when they at a time when they needed it, uh, which is what the Haas are supposed to be doing anyway. So I think that's where I'd do it. Um, yeah, Keir, yeah, yeah, look, I don't know. Look, let's be honest. Why did New South Wales lose? It was because of Nathan Cleary. And that might be a bit harsh, but the reality is we lost by two conversions, which he missed, right? So <laughs> That is a bit harsh considering the tries were all scored in the corners pretty much. But so were the Queensland tries, and uh, they got theirs. And uh, DCE isn't even a specialist kick- kicker. So, well, he did, um, miss, he did miss a penalty goal, though, oh, which, was, he, which was almost in front, <laughs> which was unbelievable, yeah. but, you know. I've got to say, at a, in an AFL town, right, to miss a penalty goal like that, um, they might as well just stop the game there and just get out. <laughs> let's, let's play this in another state because that, how embarrassing, that, that yeah. yeah, how embarrassing, you know. So, but uh, yeah, yeah, look, uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they need to get somebody else kicking goals. Uh, uh, that, that was probably that was probably the changes I'd make. Is that I, I suppose I'm chomping and changing. I know, I'm not really big and sticking, but I suppose I'm sticking with the rest of them. What about you, Doctor T? Yeah, look, no, you you made some good points there, and look, I, I do I do want to we we do need to play out that argument about if you're going to pick players on it's not just players on form, it's players who have kind of you know have some experience or have some potential uh, within the Origin kind of atmosphere. Now, look, one thing they've got to be careful of is the Clint Gutherson situation because he uh look whether he caused some of the defensive lapses or not um you know he did actually he did actually put an you know show some flair to kind of kick start some of the attacking moves and he does show some promise and i guess the question is if you're going to have tedesco there and you can't have gutherson there uh as a center uh, you know, then you've got to either put him on the bench to cover for people or you've got to leave him out altogether and just acknowledge that James Sadesco is the preferred player and Clint Gutherson will get his turn at some point in the future. In which case then you say, well, okay, who do you put in to the centres? Now, you did mention Stephen Crichton, who obviously was M, one of the M centres of the year this year. Um, I agree with you. I think... Jack Whiten needs to go to 5-8. I, I think, though, and this is where I have a bit of a problem, uh, it's the Keary versus Cleary thing. Uh, I know that we've kind of put Nathan Cleary as the, you know, the anointed uh, halfback, the, the halfback that we need in New South Wales. But in the last couple of weeks, he's had two big games where he's failed to do anything of, of note. Uh, the grand final and the first state of origin. Now, he might be having a bit of a form slump, but he also didn't really set the world on fire last year in origin either. 
And so, you know, we, we're talking about someone who, like, how many times are we going to give him an opportunity to to uh, to do something? And then, but you look at Kieran, and in fact, in the media, look, Andrew Johns and others have pointed their finger at Luke Keary as uh, a a defensive turnstile, but also as uh, lacking the ability to uh, you know um, to ignite the back line on his side of the field, usually the left side of the field. But I actually think that a lot of their a lot of the the breaks that they made and a lot of the 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 places where they were most dangerous was was when Luke Keary actually attacked the line and had Whiten outside of him and you know even at one point Cody Walker and then obviously uh Tupu on the side there um I actually think he was quite dangerous so I'm actually going a little bit against what the 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 uh, the conventional wisdom here is from uh, you know state of origin legends and others, and I actually think Cleary needs to be dropped and Luke Keary needs to be kept in there uh, to partner Jack Whiten. Um, now that potentially could cause dramas because that means we've got an issue with goal kicking, except you've got Clint Gutherson there in the centres. You um, do. Which which covers for that uh, in case you need it, and you know, and at a pinch, I believe uh, can Jack Whiten, or maybe he's not really a, a but I think Luke Keary can kick goals as well potentially. So anyway, there's we we may have other options, but look, I'm I know it's going a bit against what we would expect, but I think Gutherson showed enough uh, potential. That uh, that I think he would be absolutely handy, and I, you know, obviously I remember, you know, the final game that the Eels played this year, where they played the Rabbitohs and were ultimately defeated. Um, he was the one that got them uh, back on the back on the scoreboard uh, with three straight tries, where he um, he basically uh, you know dominated and 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 took the initiative where there was none otherwise from anyone else, i.e. Mitchell Moses in the team. And so, you, mm. you know, something you need to sort of nurture those kind of players. And look, you're talking about Cameron Murray uh, not being there uh, due to injury. Um, where does uh, Pappenheisen come into play? He, yeah. He could be, he could be an absolute gun. Uh, mm. anywhere in the back line. And I think you kind of need someone with that speed who's who's able to kind of uh, break the line. And, look, I, I don't know what to do with Addo Carr and Tupu on the other side, but I think you, you kind of need them both. So you need to put Tupu where he's most comfortable, and he seemed to be pretty solid where he was uh, last night. So, yeah, I, I think uh, those are the changes I would make. In the forwards, I think, uh, look, they weren't really spectacular. I think a lot of them need to just pull their head in and uh, and get on with it because oh and and you did mention Cordner and not being there potentially. Uh, if that's the case, I think the captaincy would have to go to I believe Damien Cook. I would mm. think, which would make I think would be. I think that would be a good thing because I think uh, when he's got that leadership role and got that C next to his name. He will take the line on more. He will put more uh, burden on his shoulder, and and I think again, when we were most dangerous was when Damien Cook tore them up the middle, and we had some momentum, and we didn't do it do that enough. 
So anyway, those are my thoughts on the, that. I would chop and change a few things because I think uh, that, yeah, as I said, the key thing is Nathan Cleary failed to deliver. And uh, his kicking game, uh, I actually thought Cleary, you know, don't forget Cleary has actually performed well in big games and when given uh, a bit of a license to do so. And, uh, he, you know, he, he has that potential more so than Cleary has shown most recently. So I would uh, opt for Kiri. And as I said, he was most dangerous out of the two on uh, on Wednesday night. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. Uh, Tish, shall we move on to the next tackle where we're going to preview game two? Here we go. Yes. All right, tackle number four. And look, uh, as we're recording this, we, we don't know as of yet what the, the teams will be for next week's game, State of Origin 2. But um, we are previewing the game after all, and it is going back to ANZ Stadium in Sydney. And uh, and look, what effect will that have on uh, you know the I guess the the momentum that Queensland has? What effect will it have on the the Blues in terms of having their home support behind them? Yeah. Well, look, uh, if I start off with Queensland uh, for the moment, because, look, obviously it is going to be a tough task for the Queenslanders to win at ANZ. Uh, I know that it's, you know, it's New South Wales' home ground. Um, they do struggle at times to, to, to get the victory over, over us. Um, now, there is actually a bit of improvement with Queensland. Um, a bit of news out coming out of the game. These are AJ Brisson actually got an ankle injury and is going to be out for this game. Um, so oh, that actually, yeah. it is a shame because he had a great game on debut. Um, but a player that missed out last time will come back, and that's Valentine Holmes. Um, so he's probably going to be the fullback replacement, which kind of strengthens their team a little bit as well, right? Because you've got mm. an experienced Origin player. Um, probably Wayne Better would probably prefer him on the wing, but. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they're going to do there because Valentine Holmes, he missed it because of, a, I think, a shoulder charge that he had to miss their game out on. Um, so I think they're going to be a bit more stronger, Queensland. And I think, obviously, with uh, Kurt Capewell, um, he might go back into the forwards while uh, Branko Lee, I think, was one of the centres who is a centre for Mel- for the Melbourne Storm, the premiership-winning Melbourne Storm. So to have him coming into the centres, I think, kind of, um, sort of helps them out from that, uh, you know, sort of, you know, having part-timers do the full-timers job sort of thing. So I think I think they're going to be slightly better. And, uh, you know, they've got great com- camaraderie and, you know, the way they sort of played with each other and played together, I think I think that is something that they're go- is going to be their key strength. Um, now on the New South Wales po- uh, point, you know, it's, it's going to be doing – going back to what they – that worked for them in the first 20 minutes of, of game one and doing it for the entire game. I think they just can't, they just got to stay in the game the whole time. You know, it's not like it's a, you know, it's not like, you know, all right, we've got out to a lead. Let's sort of, um, you know, just sort of be on cruise mode a little bit. Oh, this is so easy. I think they've got to really try to put it to um, Queensland. And this is probably another reason why you would want to have, say, the uh, Cody Walker in your lineup, because if you look at how the Rabbitohs are, you know the Rabbitohs when they when they're starting to win by about twenty or thirty, they keep the the pressure on, and um, and I think Cody is is that type of player that will 
um, sort of instill that within his within his squad uh, sort of team. Yeah. So maybe so maybe that might be maybe that killer instinct. I suppose that uh, New South Wales kind of lacked a little bit, which they need to do. So I'd say it's that it's going to be that. Um, it's going to be a great atmosphere. It's on a Wednesday night. It's in Sydney. I know it's Remembrance Day, but it's not a public holiday. Um, is there is there any other sports or any major developments that are happening? I don't I don't really think so. Right. So I think from all of that point of view, and especially since Queensland won the first game, I think this is going to be a very big occasion. It's probably going to be more Origin esque than what the first game was. Yeah. How about your thoughts, right. team? I would agree with that. I think, uh, I think this is the. It was the perfect opportunity for Queensland to ambush New South Wales and and get them when they were at the le- at their least uh, alert, at <laughs> least aware. And also, I think what it was a loss that we had to have, and it was an opportunity. I think now to look at a few things. Look, um, you know, the other thing is, despite the fact that he's the captain, I, th- I thought Boyd Cordner, uh, you know, had a couple of good runs, but. Uh, Again, what I saw from Corner, and this is the style of play I saw from uh, Angus Crichton as well. I saw uh, not so much from Junior Paulo, who's more of a ball playing forward, but uh, you know from other forwards as well, where where they just sort of there was a one dimensional hit up and no, not even bother looking for an offload. And you saw that when Queensland were dangerous, they did the opposite of that. They mm. they deliberately tried to move the ball around. All players, you know, the forwards, you know, Papali does this quite well as well. They were looking for the offload. They weren't just looking to do the hit up. And and unfortunately, what I saw from Cordner was too much of, you know, again, I talked about taking if I had a shot for every time, uh, every time Mitchell Cleary kicked a midfield bomb, I'd be drunk by half time. Well, if if I if I took one every time I saw Boyd Cordner not pass the ball when he yeah. had it in his hand, I would be even drunker because yeah. he has this tendency of being totally predictable, and unfortunately, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know. I would say watch out James Tedesco as well because he's starting to pick up that reputation as well that if you can catch him, uh, he you know he won't pass. He won't look for that second phase play. He's just not capable of doing it or he's not confident in doing it. Um, and Boyd Corden is the same. I think he's just got this mentality of just go, go, go. I'll, I'll use my speed and I'll try and find a bit of a, a gap and I'll uh, go to ground. And uh, Crichton did that as well last night which uh, was yeah. disappointing because actually when he came on, I thought uh, he's beefed up a little bit from the last time I saw him. Yeah, he yeah. He looks was, like he's uh, really strong. And so I thought he's mm. almost like a – I think Freddie should play him almost as like a second-half version of Junior Paulo. I think, yeah. uh, you know, he's got the skills and I think he's definitely got the strength to have that momentum. Uh, obviously, Junior Paul is a lot more skilled in terms of ball handling. but mm. um, And that's the other thing. We, we're just not exploiting those skills that we've got in the forwards, which, which go, going back to the point about whether we jump and change, I wonder if a player like Wade Graham would come into consideration for uh, a, a call-up again because we kind of need a player like that who's had that experience and is able to, you know, ball play a little bit um but yeah there's a as you said nathan brown is another option uh you know there's probably other players i don't know if campbell gillard is in the mix here 
uh, probably is not not in form as much as as you would like. So yeah, um, look, the Blues ultimately what they need to do is get the players back into the positions where they're comfortable, and switch on that intensity a little bit because they mm. they didn't have that at all compared to Queensland and and it showed because Queensland were able to dominate and and put on that pressure uh, of possession which uh, normally that's what the Blues do <laughs> you know it's it's kind of really odd that we saw a, a flip side here but but yeah um, use your strengths Blues because you've got some great yeah. ball players there. Uh, Cody Walker as well off the bench would uh, brings that X factor. Use him well. Um, don't bring him on when the game's already lost. Should have brought him on earlier when you know it was even Stevens. I think. Um, yeah. And that, this is the kind of thing Freddie needs to kind of have a real hard think about the way he uses his bench because we started off and we had some injuries right away and that kind of put us on the back foot straight away. And it, would, it led to our players getting tired. So, you know, maybe they need a bit of a fitness thing because I don't know where yeah. the Queenslanders got this intensity in the second half mm. that New South Wales just looked completely out on their feet as soon as they came back. So a couple of things that they need to work on, but I think the Blues can turn it around. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, look, yeah I, uh, likewise, I think they can turn around. Um, yeah, you brought up the Angus Cronin. I thought, I thought that too. Like, I thought he looked a little... Uh, Heavier. I, I don't know if it's the buffet at the uh, quarantine or or what the situation <laughs> is. Uh, but maybe it might be a you know, personal reason to do that. But um, agility is a key. I think. I think um, you, you sort of talked about intensity. I think another way to look at it is you got to you just got to go for it. I felt like uh, New South Wales were just uh, they weren't really going for it like they could. You know, just trying to take their opportunities. Um, you know, like, for example, yeah, the Kirk Capel kick, um, you know, from from just the way he kicked it and his hitting style, um, you wouldn't think he had ever kicked the ball in his life. It was just uh, it was, off the rock. It was clunky, was it? It was clumsy. It, it was clunky, it was clumsy, um, and clearly he did not know where the ball was going to go after he kicked it as well. Um, but he just did it, <laughs> right? And, uh, he gave it and yeah, and fortunately, AJ Brinson sort of, uh, you know, sort of backing up. And again, it's kind of the same sort of thing. He's just backing up because, um, you know, they've got an opportunity and he just went for it. And then all of a sudden, the, the luck sort of started going their way. Yeah. And I think and I think that New South Wales could take a page out of Queensland's book. When it comes to these sort of games, yeah, look, I know there's so much scrutiny and, and maybe the pressure gets to you as, you know, but, but I think you just ultimately have just got to... Just got to like no fear and go for it, and I think that that's kind of, they kind of uh, lacked a little bit of that. And, and, and to be fair, that's that's the James Maloney influence, isn't it? You know, like you know he is they call him what the gunslinger sort of thing. You know, he's sort of uh, as you know he'll make you know for every one great play, there's about three areas, but the main thing is that he never gives up going for the big play sort of thing. Um, and New South Wales didn't really go for the big plays; they didn't. You know, when, when Queensland got on top, they didn't try and do anything to change the momentum over. They didn't go for an early kick. They didn't do anything like that. And, look, that could be – I don't know if – because you, you're right about Kiri and, and his effectiveness at times, but I also feel that he's more of a um, he's more of a cog within a machine-style yeah. player. And I think, I think Cleary is the same rather than a – 
Um, I, what, I'm going to play what's in front of me and I'm going to try and change the, the situation. Whereas where I think the Guthersons and the Walkers uh, of the world are. So so that's probably the main the main uh, differences that, that I say they do. And, you know, another player that I think they kind of missed was Jake Travoy. Uh, Tommy Travoy, bitch. Tom Travoy. Yeah, Tommy. Tommy I was Turbo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tommy Turbo. Yeah, because he's also that sort of player that sort of uh, seems to be always in the right position sort of thing. And, um, yeah, so they just kind of liked it, a few of those sort of, uh, you know, crucial players. And, uh, yeah, but look, um, they were far off saying all of that as well. Reality is it was three tries apiece and it was really down to goal kicking. Um, so, um, you know, it's not a lot that you need to turn around. Uh, so, um, so I think, yeah, let's, uh, I think as, uh, as, uh, Rob Shinanis would say, you can do it. <laughs> That's a uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I, I can just imagine Andrew Johns playing that role on the sideline, supporting, <laughs> supporting, uh, Freddie Fittler's team, uh, absolutely. All right, let's move on to tackle number five. Here we go. All right, so Toronto Wolfpack news, and it's not good news. Toronto have failed, unfortunately, in their bid to be readmitted to the UK Super League in 2021. The Canadian club withdrew from their inaugural season in a top flight in July, citing financial problems caused by the coronavirus pandemic. But they did express hope at the time that they would return next year under new ownership. And uh, so the new, uh, the club's prospective new owner, Carlo Livolsi, uh, tried to put together a, uh, uh, a presentation to the Super League board on Monday, who soundly rejected their submission by a vote of eight to four with one abstention. Uh, Leeds were one of the three clubs to support the Wolfpack case, along with the Rugby Football League whose single vote was cancelled out by that of Super League's executive chairman, Robert Elstone. Uh, so, yeah, uh, unfortunately, Super League now has to decide whether to go with the 11 clubs or to find a 12th club uh, in 2021. Tish, we this has been an ongoing saga this year. We know they've had financial issues. Uh, they haven't paid their players for a while. A lot of people are saying... This was a sign that Toronto wasn't, you know, isn't financially able, in a business sense, to kind of make it up to that uh, to that top level. Uh, they, they've been financially irresponsible uh, and things like that, uh, which is quite kind of disappointing. But I, I've got to say, when you look at the bigger picture, and this is what we really got to do, as opposed to just sort of on a case by case basis say, nope, you haven't lived up to the standards, therefore you won't be part of this. Uh, they need to look at the bigger picture because the bigger picture is that this was an absolutely groundbreaking thing to have Toronto play in a transatlantic competition, which is what would have been uh, had this gone ahead uh, properly uh, in in this strange year that we're having. And uh, this is an opportunity for the Rugby Football League, for Super League, to uh, take that next step and really, you know, uh, I guess up their game and show people that you know rugby league is an innovative sport. It thinks outside of the box, and it also wants to grow the game in Canada. And this is one way to do it. Now that they've uh, rejected their submission for reinclusion, um, what what can we say about the Super League board? I mean, 
you know, guys, you got to think outside the square and and think about the good of the game because, uh, you know, surely they could have supported this team, got some uh, standards in place in terms of business management, etc. Very, very disappointing for Toronto and for the fans in Canada. At one point, they were averaging, I think, bigger crowds than, than probably half of the rest of the Super League clubs most of which would have been traditional clubs from formed before 1900. So, Tim, what are your thoughts about this pretty sad piece of news? Yeah, look, everything is quite disappointing here about about what's happened with Toronto. And, uh, you know, and look, I think um, that, like, let's be honest, uh, the Toronto Wolfpack, yes, what happened in July, I think I was kind of angry about, you know, obviously players not being paid and, the awful situation. But let's not also remember, like, this club went from nothing only, what, three years ago, right? Mm. Being established in an area that is not a rugby league era, area, and they've done it on their own, um, you know, going from, like, a, one division to the next. And now in the – in when they sort of uh, need the sort of the, the support from the Super League, um, you know, they're still sort of left – a little bit on the cold, I kind of feel like, you know, where, you know what, it's all, it's all their responsibility. It's all, it's all bad financial management on their end. It's, you know, there wasn't really a saviour for them. And and that's very disappointing because, you know, I I compare that to the sort of the situation that is facing Greater Western Sydney at the moment with the Greater Western Sydney Giants from the AFL. You know, that's, you know, the AFL is trying to expand their sport into, into areas where, it's not a it's not a uh, a favoured sport, and GWS probably every year is losing money hand over fist. Um, they've they've made it to a couple of grand finals, but they've also had very disappointing seasons. But you know what? It's twenty year vision to actually get um, to get AFL established in the West, and it's working. Um, there are so many young fans uh, of AFL in Western City, which I think you know all needs to stand up and look at. But, you know, I think Super League needs to take a page out of the AFL's book a little bit here as well Mm. and go, you know, we've had success without putting a lot of investment into the Wolfpack just by getting them into the Super League. You know, let's let's guarantee their uh, survival for the next 10 years or even for the next five years, you know. Let's let's, let's underwrite whatever they have to do. Let's get help them get sponsorship. Let's do what we can to keep this club going because ultimately they're trying to they're trying to start something from nothing, which is a very difficult thing to do, you know. Um, and I think they need to do that. You know, I heard this argument uh, today where, you know, the Super League needs to uh, fish where there are fish. And I'm like, um, you know, this is not I don't think I don't think that's a good analogy when it comes to 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 sport because, you know, the audience is only there if you promote into that audience. Um, mm. Nobody's going to go. I mean, like the eight, like let, let's think about the NFL. You know, the NFL doesn't have any teams here, but it has a lot of support in Australia because, you know, we see the games on TV. Um, we've got former players that try to keep on promoting it, and that's why there's a market for it. And I think rugby league needs to do that in some areas where we don't play rugby league. So very disappointing. Um, look, I have heard that they are uh, have confirmed that they will have a twelfth team next season. I hear that um, Toulouse is a very big. Um, uh, candidate for it, so maybe the expansion into France is probably where they want to focus their efforts on, which is 
I suppose a good thing. Um, but yeah, but it's but it is still very disappointing that in America we could have had a uh, a franchise, a viable franchise, and uh, it just hasn't really worked out. So uh, maybe it's set the whole North American uh, expansion. Um, it's probably it's probably set it back a good couple of years. I'd I'd, I'd say at least. Yeah, thanks, Tish. Look, and you mentioned something which is going to be a perfect segue to our final tackle for today, which is about, you know, the, I guess the, the the reason why they failed uh, and why the Super League needs to kind of, uh, you know, what needs to happen to take us to the next level of expansion is there needs to be the structures in place to allow that to occur. And I think it's, it's it, to me, that's a simple thing. Uh, you know, if... If you take a Toronto out of the Super League, you want to you want to add a structure there that acknowledges that there's going to be other expansion clubs that you you can provide a pathway for. And uh, speaking of pathways, so here we are, tackle number six. And tackle number six is about the moves that have been made uh, internationally under the International Rugby League (IRL) uh, to uh, announce who has announced a roadmap to create new confederations for the administration of the sport. Tish, do you want to take us away with this news item? Yes. So, look, um, International Rugby League, of course, 2020 we've been starved of Rugby League and I don't think we have any International Rugby League fixtures um, booked in at the moment, which is very disappointing, but um, that's not to say there has been developments and the developments have been the International Rugby League have announced... um, that they've created a, a roadmap to create new confederations uh, to administer the sport globally. So currently there's actually only two associate members who represent uh, confederations. There is the Asia-Pacific Rugby League, the APRL, who represents broadly the Southern Hemisphere, and the Rugby League European Federation, RELEF, that represents the Northern Hemisphere. Um, so, but in recent years, there's been, you know, rapid development in membership in the Middle East and in Africa, uh, the EMA and in the Americas, both North and South. So this new roadmap, um, sets out clear six steps from concept to membership to achieve recognition. And at each step, there are objectives to, uh, you know, for, for, for governance and best practices, um, you know, technical capabilities so that eventually Rugby League globally will have six, you know, regions, affiliated regions that will participate in sort of, you know, making sure that Rugby League has, you know, local competitions in these regions as well as coming into a World Cup, Um, you know, so you've got, you know, so it won't be just, you know, sort of, you know, Australia, Great Britain, New Zealand and whoever else we can find. It will be more like, okay, we will have two teams from, the Americas, you know, one team from Europe, that kind of thing, maybe one team from Africa. So um, I think it's quite positive to finally hear that the uh, International Rugby League is is actually creating confederations or, you know, tr- trying to get the structures in place to, be, to enable the creation of these structures. And, uh, you know, I'm quite excited to see how, uh, particularly, uh, you know, it would be really interesting, the Middle East African region, if they could... Because uh, I know that there is, um, I suppose you could mix the Mediterranean to that as well. There's, there is a there is a bit of a, a broad spectrum there that that I think um, rugby league could really excel in if we could just sort of get the right structures in place and governance to, to make it happen. 
what are your thoughts about this on uh, Dr. T? Is this a uh, is this too much politics like Biden and Trump, or or or, or uh, can the common man help in this situation? Look, uh, you know, in a few days we'll probably find out whether Trump has held on to his presidency or not. And if he's looking for a job, uh, we could always <laughs> we could always get someone who like him to come in and set this straight because. And I don't mean that in the sense that you know, as president. I mean, if you remember, he was previously a uh, the the apprentice. He was, yes. you know, famous for those words. You're fired, mm. tough, which I think America is telling him. Right? <laughs> probably, he's a tough businessman who uh, who isn't afraid to kind of make the tough decisions. And and you kind of need someone like that to come in and go. All right, let's just structure this right so that we've got. A representative here, 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 and this is what you need to do, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because one of the things that definitely we can say about the history of rugby league is that we've had some well-meaning people who have just had been completely clueless about, you know, how to how to run businesses or how to run mm. sports uh, of this nature and uh, and with that much money flying around, and so you get kind of a mixed bag of things where you have good ideas like this, which are then poorly executed. So you end up having mm. things like it's a good idea, but then maybe the um, the best practices that you want to set up around these confederations end up being too onerous for those that are starting out, but too easy, mm. but too easy for those that should be, should, you should hold them to a much higher standard. And so what they end yeah. up doing is it just ends up crippling the smaller areas who just want to, like, you, I guess what I'm saying is we we tend to shoot ourselves in the foot because we have good ideas and then we ruin it with poor execution. And in this case, the example that I'm fearful of is that the confederations will have, there won't be a... Um, you know, in the interest of trying to be fair and set up structures and rules, etc., you might end up actually undermining efforts to actually get some of these confederations uh, off the ground and get them yeah. to, and get them to actually, you know, too much red tape, too much red tape potentially, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So, so as long as they've got that in mind when they execute these ideas, I'm all for it. But from what we've seen in the past. I mean, we've got, you know, we've even got in the announcement that there's going to be a roadmap, six clear steps from concept to membership, all that kind of stuff. I mean, like, I don't know what those six steps are, but is it, are you setting things up to make it too hard for uh, for confederations to be set up properly by doing that? You know, is there a way that you can assist some of the newer federations to develop, you know, do we need, and let's think carefully, do we need one that represent, you know, Asia and, and, and maybe a separate one for the Pacific and a separate one that represents Australia and New Zealand kind of thing. Like who knows what, what's the best way to do it. Um, but, but I guess that's the thing. I, I'm just fearful of that, that, uh, mm. that, that we're going to shackle ourselves with uh, unnecessarily where we don't need to with uh, rules and, you know, you need a minimum of four members and six affiliate members and all this stuff, you know, there's rules already being touted <laughs> rather than 
you know, why don't we have different tiers? Like just as you would have, uh, you know, different tiers of your insurance membership or membership mm. of, uh, you know, Netflix or something like that. You know, you've got different levels of things and maybe some require more than others. So something to think about. But Tish, yeah. I'll let you have the final word about, you know, is this kind of structure being set up the right thing, uh, the right kind of approach uh and uh are we looking forward to some good news in the near future yeah well i think what you're alluding to and i think i kind of agree is that they probably need to announce how the governing body is going to support the efforts of these uh you know regional areas to get off the ground um so it's all right setting rules in place but are you just going to give unrealistic (laughs) rules and not actually provide the support to do it so you know, I'm, I'm thinking that we need some sort of, uh, you know, a, a transformative character. You know, maybe, maybe somebody like a Gordon Ramsay, you know, who, you know, I've seen him do these restaurant, you know, sort of uh, resident restaurants from all over the world. I think if you get a character like Gordon Ramsay, you know, give him a laptop, give him a mobile phone, give him, you know, a whole pair of suits and a, you know, a credit card of unlimited, um, you know, sort of maxing out. And, uh, you know, getting to go into these areas and just get something going, you know, uh, you know, flyers you know, out there, you, know, you kind of need that entrepreneurial type approach. So, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a Gordon Ramsay or, or maybe Trump is the man for this, you know, you can sort of see him sort of hitting the paver, you know, door knocking, um, you know, you know, uh, you know that's, that's how you get fans in, you know, you're like, uh, hey, have you heard about rugby league? Okay, I just want to talk to you about rugby league. Can I come inside? Can I get a glass of water? You know, like, uh, you know, this is a very nice home. How long have you had it? Oh, okay, great. Well, you know what? You know, you can improve it by some rugby league memorabilia. But if you're not interested, why don't you come outside the game? You know, but maybe we need a, a bit of, you know, street hustling in these areas you know, to try and make it happen. But Tish, we need uh, we need the the slogan. We need Merlga, make rugby league great again. That's what we need. <laughs> make rugby league great again. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, that's. No, that's exactly right. You know, we could get a telemarketing team happening as well. Um, you know, like, you know, uh, maybe get some, uh, you know, some of my cousins out there in India to try and, uh, you know, help push rugby league into Africa. You know, you know the Nigerian, uh, you know, princes, you know, they do a lot of funding these days. So, uh, surely they've got lots of money to, uh, to put into this. Yeah, maybe money they've we're... collected from around the world. <laughs> Maybe they can raise uh, capital. I'm sure there's plenty of people from the banking industry that have got some great ideas on how they can expand the sport, uh, leveraging um, you know offshore assets and bank accounts. So I think I think you know the world of uh, yeah espionage. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. Sorry, I was, I was actually thinking you know like uh, maybe you know some of uh, there are some other sports that thrive uh, when there's a cartel involved. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, and rugby league does have a bit of a drug culture behind them. All right, I think I think I think I think we're out of ideas. I, I think, think we're uh, out of ideas, and look, we're almost at our eighty minutes. Yeah, I believe uh, <laughs> our eighty minutes look, is up. the 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 game of rugby league has gone on for long yes. enough. I think to <laughs> today. But look, yep. some good ideas there. Um, I, I do want to, my last thought, uh, the Gordon Ramsay thing, a great idea. I think what he needs to do is he needs to go up to the uh, the Super League executive chairman, uh, 
put two bread slices either side of his ears and <laughs> and tell him what is he is an idiot sandwich. That's what he is. Because <laughs> <laughs> Because what they've done to Toronto has uh, <laughs> completely undermined. So that's not my idea. That was that was a Gordon Ramsay one. Uh, was- it's a meme. Look it up, everyone. But um, look, we we need some truth tellers. That's what you're saying. We need some people to go in there and just tell the truth, tell it like it is, and just say mm. uh, you're fired. You know, you need to do this properly and get some uh, get some accountability up there. So look, it's a good idea what they've done with the confederations. Let's see how they execute it, and uh, let's hope we can Murilga, make rugby league great again. Uh, uh, I like it, Dr. T. All right. Over to you to wrap this up. It's been a wonderful episode where we've been revising, reviewing a very uh, depressing <laughs> game one mm. of State of Origin uh, this year in 2020, if you're a Blues supporter. Great one if you're a Queensland supporter, of course. Of but course, look, yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to catch us on uh, on. Twitter, on Facebook, on iTunes, via email, uh, and on our website, ourrepublic.com. And uh, over to you, Tish, to wrap things up. Well, uh, Dr. Tay, I want to thank you for this uh, episode and uh, therapy session. Um, <laughs> after after New South Wales was struck in defeat. But look, I'd like to thank everybody out there for listening to the show. But unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now. Bye.